You are listening to the Less Drama, More Mama podcast, episode 140, Handling Grief and Loss with Krista St. Germain. This is Less Drama, More Mama, the podcast for moms who want to feel calm, in control, and confident about how to handle anything life throws their way. If you're ready to go from feeling frazzled and disrespected to feeling calm and connected, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Pam Howard. Hey, Mama. I am so glad you tuned in for today's episode. Today's guest is Master Certified Life Coach Krista St. Germain, who is a coach for widowed moms, and you'll hear her tell the story about how her life was completely flipped upside down when her husband Hugo died. While it would have been easy to believe her best days were behind her, thankfully, Krista discovered life coaching and was able to move forward and create a future she could get excited about. Now, she coaches and teaches other widows so that they can love life again, too. We talk about grief and loss, not only as it relates to the death of a loved one, but also as it relates to life and motherhood in general, especially after the year we've just had. We also talk about how Krista thinks about grief and how she talks to her kids about loss. And as you'll hear, Krista is so lovely, so kind and smart and down to earth. I just love her. She has a huge heart and is an inspiration in so many ways, in her life and in her business. I can't say enough good things about her, but I'll let you hear for yourself. Before I do, I want to remind you that I'm hosting a free open coaching call this Thursday, April 15th at 3 p.m. Eastern. So anyone who wants some free help, you are invited. Just be sure to subscribe to my email list so you'll be able to get the Zoom link for the call. If you're not able to make the 3 p.m. time, You can email me your question ahead of time and I'll answer it on the call, but you'll still want to get on my list so you can watch the replay and hear the answer to your question. So the link to subscribe and all of the resources that Krista and I talk about in today's episode are going to be in the show notes, which you can get at lessdramamoremama.com forward slash 140. Without further ado, here's my interview with Krista St. Germain. Hey, Krista. Hello, Pam. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. Let's start by just having you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you got into coaching and all of that good stuff. Absolutely. So Krista St. Germain, Master Certified Life Coach, Widow Mom, Grief Expert, host of the Widowed Mom Podcast. It's starting to roll off my tongue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I work with widowed moms and I help them figure out how to truly love life again. It is such um, a sad thing to me when after a major loss, we buy into this lie that we just have to get used to a new normal that we didn't ask for. And so my work is really all about kind of defying that. I just, I even hate it. It's so cringy, Pam. It's so cringy to me when people think that, you know, they can't really love life again after a big loss like that. So that's what I do. I help widowed moms figure out how to love life again. And um, it's exciting to me whenever I get to talk about grief and whenever I get to talk about post-traumatic growth, because I don't think our culture does a very good job of that. Okay. Well, we're going to get on into 
it's funny that you even say, I, I'm excited to talk about grief. I but, know, but, <laughs> I know, I know. But, but and who would have that. ever thought, yeah, before my husband died, I could not, I don't think I would have ever predicted that grief would be, you know, a fun topic for me, but it really right. is, it really is why I'm on the planet. I'm pretty convinced of that. Yeah. And, and we'll get more into, you mentioned post-traumatic growth, which I'm sure many of my listeners have never even heard of that term. So we'll get into that later. Um, but tell us a little bit about your story, like when you became a widow. And I think, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, when we hear the word widow, we think of older women, we think of, you know, our grandmothers and things like that. And I, it really, knowing you and knowing your business and everything has really opened my eyes up to how many young people have experienced this loss and and just and then you know I work at a, a grief camp and so that also opened my eyes to just how many families are impacted by the death of uh, a parent you know or mm-hmm. a sibling or things like that so yeah just tell us what your story yeah, is totally it's yeah, a place I never really thought I would be in. So, um, and so interesting that you would say, you know, that you also think of widows as being older because, you know, I was 40 when my husband was killed and I could not relate to that term widow at all. I was Googling everything but widow. Young wife loses husband unexpectedly, you know, those kinds of things. But yeah, mm-hmm. widow didn't relate to me at all. So, um, yeah, life was going along, you know, fairly swimmingly in my estimation. And I had, been married once before, divorced, not, you know, the top of my list of fun things in life, Mm -hmm. but had met my kind of redemption story, right? So Hugo, he was just the most Renaissance man. Um, Absolutely in love with him. Second chance at at hope kind of deal. and, And things were going really well for us. And we had been on a weekend trip and we were we were doing volunteer work as well. It's a group that I work with for kids who are blind or visually impaired, um, named after uh, a sorority sister of mine who was actually killed when she was in her 20s. And so we had been at this vacation, well, not vacation, you know, volunteer event. And we were driving back in separate cars and I had a flat tire and we pulled over to the side of the road, him behind my car. And, you know, he just insisted that he changed the tire himself. We had AAA. It was an interstate. Cars are whizzing by, at, you know, 75, 80 miles an hour. Um, it didn't feel safe to me, but, you know, baby, let's just, I can change the tire. You know, we'll get home so much faster if I do it. It's not a problem. And so, so I said, okay. And so he was in the the trunk of my car between our two cars, trying to get access to the spare tire. And I was on the side of the road, texting my daughter who was 12 at the time to tell her we would be late because she was on the same trip with us, but was on the bus um, riding with the campers home and no warning at all, Pam, just crash, right? I wasn't looking, but we later found out that the car, um, the driver who caused the accident had meth and alcohol in his system and he didn't break at all. He just hit the back of Hugo's Durango and that trapped him in between his car and mine. And, you know, oh, it was just awful. Um, so within 24 hours he was gone. Um, and it just completely rocked my world. So Therapy, of course, was where I went first, had a great therapist in my back pocket from my divorce, and I went immediately back to her. And that's kind of what enabled me to just process that acute grief, right? And and talk about it and tell the story until I could come to terms with it. And yeah, then, I mean, you just I just need to 
pause yeah. for a minute because you sure. tell the story like, and then this happened and then I happened like, and then I, you know, uh, yeah. went to the grocery store. It's like, right. you told it so many times. I, I, I know, but for us listening, it's like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah, it's a sucker punch to the gut for sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like your entire life in one second just completely changes. And, and, and you said, you know, you mentioned briefly, like I wasn't comfortable with it. I didn't think it was safe, but okay. Like, and I just, I know for me, like I would just keep replaying that in my mind over and over. Like, why didn't I listen to my gut or what, you know, and just, oh my gosh, Krista. Oh, I totally did. <laughs> I played that one for a while and that you should have pulled up farther on the highway and you should have gotten that tire checked and, you know, oh, yeah, all the things, all okay. the things I okay. replayed and decisions made in the hospital and yeah. And I all remember, definitely. so Krista and I went through coach training together back in 2017. And I remember when you stood up and you mm -hmm. said, my husband was killed by a drunk driver, I think is what you said. And everyone in the room just went <gasps> like this collective. Mm -hmm. I, and I think we were talking, I don't remember specifically, but I think we were talking about how circumstances, I often say this on the podcast, circumstances are neutral. Yeah. I remember that as clear as day because the reason I stood up <clears throat> was because I wanted to be coached. And what I wanted to be coached on was actually my thoughts about not being able to tell the difference between whether men now wanted to be my friend or wanted to date me. And mm -hmm. so I didn't want to be coached on anything to do with my husband's death. Mm -hmm. I was just giving that as background information right. and everyone completely fell in the pool. Yeah. Right. Because they Which were so what? caught up. Yeah. Like they really <laughs> believed my, believed that that was a terrible, horrible thing and assumed that that was the terrible, horrible thing that I wanted coaching on. Right. And so I didn't even get coaching on what I really wanted coaching on because the instructor stopped and used that as an example of what happens when we don't see a circumstances neutral yes. and we're yeah. unable to help people from that place. Yeah. Yeah. So can you, I know I'm jumping all over the place here, but can you, can you speak to that? Like when your clients come to you and they're grieving the loss of their husband and life partner and love of their life. And you're like trying to teach them that a circumstance is neutral. How does that go? Mm -hmm. <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, here's what I don't say. <laughs> I don't say, you know, it's just your thoughts, right? Right. Um, right. Yeah. So so sometimes I actually do use the example of your husband died, right? So so my, when my husband died, they weren't sad. When their husband died, I wasn't sad. And why mm. is that? It's because the death of a person isn't what makes us sad. It's our thoughts about the person's death. Now, that doesn't mean we don't want to be sad. Mm -hmm. Right. It just means that what has happened, anything that happens, isn't what actually causes our emotional experience of it, which is the best news ever because when we go forward, it doesn't need to limit our happiness. I think most of us want to be sad at a loss like that. We want to grieve. Mm -hmm. We want to mourn. Yeah. And we want to process all of it. So we wouldn't even choose to be happy, most of us, if we could. Mm -hmm. right? If we could believe the thoughts that would make us happy, I don't think most of us would, would choose them, but it sets us up well to understand that what's happened in the past really doesn't have any power over us. And I like to approach it from 
that perspective, that it's not about you should be happy, you you should be sad or, you know, should or shouldn'ts or right or wrongs. It's about you're more powerful than anything that ever happens to you. Mm-hmm. You get to you get to choose how you want to take what has happened in your life and who you want to be, no matter right. what happens in your life. Right. So just choosing to feel sadness versus thinking that it's just happening to you and you have no control over it. That is such a yeah. I'll never be happy again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because if that's true, if if the death of your spouse or you know any significant loss. If you see that as the term, the determining factor of your emotional state, then you are doomed to be sad forever. Yeah. Right? Because right. you can't go back and change the past. You right. can't go back and mm. make them make them live. But so no, it's more like, yes, let's choose to be sad. Let's choose to feel however it is that we want to feel that feels appropriate and useful in terms of our, our grief and our healing. And then we can decide how we mm. want to think. Mm-hmm. And it and it isn't black and white. It's not like, well, I can't be sad if I want to be happy. We can also have both, mm-hmm. right? I still think of Hugo a lot and I like missing him. I know that might sound strange to some people. I really like that. Mm. It's kind of a bittersweet feeling to me. It feels really good and pure and clean that when I think of him, I smile, but I also have this, this kind of missing and longing. Mm-hmm. That's great for me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? That coexists right along with all the good memories and and the connection that I still feel to him and and all of that. But yeah, yeah, that's how I like to think about it. Is that it's not? I don't ever want anybody to hear. Well, you know, your thoughts just make you sad, so stop thinking those thoughts. No, that's not right. what it is. It's right. it's hey, things happen in life that we can't control, but we always get to choose how we want to think about those things. And therefore, we're always still able to create our life experience no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Way more empowering. I love that. And you started talking, I interrupted you before, but you were starting to tell us about how you went to therapy, back to therapy yeah. when this first happened. And so tell us a little bit about how then you came to coaching mm-hmm. and maybe like how coaching was a little bit different from therapy in this particular circumstance. Yeah. 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 So I did therapy pretty regularly and then kind of went back to work, kept going to therapy. And, and I was getting this feedback from my therapist, which was, you're so strong, you're doing great. You're amazing. You know, I don't think you need me anymore. And it felt really odd to me. Because Mm -hmm. I could see her point in that, yeah, I was ticking off all the Mm to-dos. From the outside, it looked like life was, you know, I was doing good. Mm -hmm. But on the inside, I wasn't feeling good. It was like, you know, empty, heavy, hollow. Is this all life has? Surely there's more. Mm. That was kind of my emotional state. And... So when you so say kind of off the boxes, you mean like you were going back like to the work kids were getting were- fed and yeah, yeah, I was, you know, I mean, I wasn't staying in bed all day crying. I was mm-hmm. functioning and I, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, if you didn't know how I felt on the inside, you probably wouldn't have thought mm-hmm. that it, it, it was what it was. And I think that happens a lot 
at least to the women that I serve, is that everyone outside of them is giving them all of this praise and telling them how strong they are and they do not feel strong mm-hmm. or they feel kind of annoyed because it's like, well, what, you you seem to think I have a choice, but I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, mm-hmm. you would be doing the same thing if you were where I am. And um, so, yeah, so it was just this kind of weird place where I also was questioning what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Hugo and I had worked together at the same company and which was in a lot of ways helpful to go back to a, an environment where everyone knew him because they were so supportive because they loved him too. Mm-hmm. Also a little challenging because there were a lot of memories. And for sometimes when you go back to work, it can be a distraction where you can get your brain out of the space of, of grieving. But for me, every meeting room had, you know, mm-hmm. memories in it. What did you guys and do so, together? What, what was the company? So it was Bombardier Learjet. And so he was an engineer and I was a project manager. I supervised all the project managers for engineering. So at the point when he died, we were actually on different programs and and primarily working in, um, you know, different buildings. But, you know, we met every day for lunch in the cafeteria. And yeah, that's, you know, that's how we started dating in the first place is is Mm -hmm. because we met through work and when we were working on a, a program together. And, but aerospace was never something I loved right? Mm-hmm. Aerospace just paid the bills. It, it was a comfortable, cushy job mm-hmm. in, in that way. And, but he had a passion for planes. I didn't. And so, you know, when a, you have a big loss like that, what often happens is you start questioning, you, you start seeing that life is shorter than you were seeing it before. And then you start questioning what your contribution is to the world. And that's what I was going through too, is thinking, do I really want to do this for the rest of my life? I love the people here, but I don't think this is the contribution I'm supposed to be making. And so my therapist was saying, you should be a therapist. You should go to therapy school, go to, I'll help you. And then you can come and you, when I retire, you can buy my practice. And this, these are the conversations Mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. So I simultaneously enrolled in a marriage and family therapy program and I was waiting for it to start. And it had a semester to wait and another, I needed an abnormal psych class to take. So I was starting to take that. And so it was going to start in September and this was like December when I started enrolling. And then at the exact same time, Brooke Castillo launched Self-Coaching Scholars. Mm-hmm. And I had been following her and listening to her podcast since the very early days of her podcast. But she had never offered anything that resonated with me. You know, mm-hmm. she had high-end weight loss and I, I didn't want that. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna try this Self-Coaching Scholars thing and see how it helps me. And oh my gosh. So yeah coaching, (laughs) right? Changed everything, changed everything. So therapy was what helped me talk about the loss, just get the words out, tell the story, right? Kind of make peace with it actually did happen and he's not coming back versus coaching, which helped me think differently. It helped show me that I was in control of so much more than I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And it was just so powerful to me. So while I was really that spring planning to go and be a marriage and family therapist, uh, coaching just blew my mind. And so I decided probably about the same time you did (laughs) to go through coach certification, but I was still thinking up almost up until coach certification, I was still thinking, well, I'll do that on the side as I'm going through the MFT program. Mm -hmm. And I kept getting coached and having experiences. And by the time coach training came around, I thought, I don't really want to do therapy. This is not 
coaching is where it's at for me. I, yeah. I didn't think I wanted to coach widows at that point in time. I still thought that would be too sad. So I wasn't really interested in grief Okay. Um, until after I got certified. I had to do a little bit more work on myself there, but yeah. So coach certification, finished that up in the fall, quit my job in January and I've been coaching since then. So, Oh, and we're so happy that you uh, me too. I, <laughs> yeah. I look back and I think, you know, would I have ever chosen for Hugo to die? No, but am I so, so proud of how I've showed up in my life and what I've created after that loss? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I just love listening to you and watching you coach people. I think you're brilliant at it. You're just thank you. such a good coach. Um, so tell us a little bit about your, um, I guess, how you view grief now that you've been through this experience and you've helped so many other people through their experiences of grief. How do you view it maybe differently than most people? Um, mm. Do you dif- view it differently? Like how would you describe what is grief even? Mm. Yeah. I think it's the natural, the natural response to a perceived loss. That's how I define it. And so it's, it's unique. It is quote unquote normal, Mm -hmm. um, varies by the individual based on who was lost in their relationship to that, to that person and their thoughts about that person. It's not just about death, right? It's any perceived loss. So Mm -hmm. it's divorce. It's, I mean, look at the pandemic. That was grief, right? So there's so many different experiences that fall under Mm -hmm. the umbrella about grief, but really Mm -hmm. it's, it's thoughts and feelings about a perceived loss. So that's how I like to think of it. I think most people think it's a problem. Yeah. Whereas I see the opportunity in it. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't say that to suggest that it's fun necessarily to go through, but, um, but I think there's so much value in it that a lot of us don't really take the time to see. And that's what I see with my clients is it's this opportunity to really decide what do I want out of life? Who do I want to be? What do I value? What's important to me? How can I show up more as myself? How how can I be more engaged and more present in, in my life? And grief is such a wonderful door. Yeah. Yeah. I did a podcast a while ago. I'll have to link to it in the show notes um, about, you know, your legacy, leaving your legacy Mm. and not waiting until something tragic happens before you decide, you know, what you, what that is going to be for you. But, um, so I'm so glad you brought up, you know, that it's, it's really about perceived loss and not necessarily about death because really what I wanted us to talk about here on the podcast today is a lot of my clients, and this happened for me too. I don't know if it happened for you, but when we become mothers, we have ideas about what that's going to be like. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then it doesn't turn out the way that we thought it was going to turn out a lot of times, mm-hmm. right? And so that in and of itself is sort of a, a perceived loss, I think, of like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, or this isn't how I thought you know my, my kids were going to be, or my marriage was going to turn out, or any of it. Totally. So I just wanted to have a talk about that. And then also, I wanted to talk a little bit about explaining death or grief or loss to our kids, how to do that. Because I know all kids really, in my experience as a school counselor and as a mom, all kids go through stages where they have 
fear. And my younger daughter right now is going through this where at nighttime, she starts thinking a little bit more about death and about losing people. Mm. And it's like scary. She doesn't want to go to sleep. And so just, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about how to talk to kids about, Mm, about that. So, but let's go back first to, um, grieving what you thought was going to be. And I know you, you went through that obviously with your divorce and then again with Hugo. So yeah, I mean, I, (laughs) it's, it's really something that I think most of us go through many times in life, but for sure it started with my, well, I don't know, as you talk about parenting, it probably started with parenting because I know for me, um, I expected it would be easier than it was. I expected, (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness. As I think back and I have amazing children, so I don't, I'm, I know there are people who've had it way, way harder than me, but you, it's kind of glamorized. At least it was in my world that, you know, you're going to, you're going to grow up and you get married and you're going to have kids right. and it's going to be easy and fun and happy. And everyone's going to be amazing. Right. And then it was like, okay, but I'm not sleeping and I'm totally stressed <laughs> out and I'm yelling at my kids and you don't you tell know, us that because they, they have minds of their own. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I feel like too, that's like about the time social media was kind of starting to come out. So my daughter is 17 and my son is almost 14. And so thinking about, you know, their childhood and just not really realizing yet that what I was seeing everyone put on social media in some of those early days really was their highlight reels and yes. comparing myself and mm-hmm. thinking, why are all of these, you know, all of my other friends so together? And I am such a mess as a mom. Why is it so easy for them? And it's so hard for me. And nobody was really talking about the, you know, being honest about what it was like to be a mom in my circle. And so, yeah, I just remember feeling so often alone and thinking that I wasn't doing it well. And such a common experience, so common. And nobody wants to talk about it because they don't want to be the one yeah. Who, you know, who admits they're the one who doesn't have it all together. I mean, it's it's yes. just so crazy. Yeah. So crazy. I remember no it, it together. I'm specifically thinking of my friend Amber. She she will never listen to this podcast. But <laughs> I mean, she would just pop out the babies and then she would show up at social functions as though like wearing her same pants. Yes. You know, no nothing on her clothing, like all babies in tow. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, how I can't even <laughs> I just can't. Yeah. So yes, I used to compare myself to the moms who would just pop their baby on their breast and and feed them. And I was like, how do they do that? What's wrong with me? Yes, that brings like a whole nother thing. I had trouble with nursing. Yeah, or the people that just made the baby slings look so easy. All the things (laughs) they didn't come easy to me for sure. Yeah, it's this expectation, and that that's exactly it. It's the cycle, Mm -hmm. right? So it's whenever we have an expectation that things are going to go a certain way, and then they don't go that way. And then we tell ourselves that's a problem, right? That's, that's it. Right. So it definitely happened with me for parenting. Definitely happened in my first marriage. Definitely happened when Hugo died. You know, yeah, it's happened multiple times. So that's, so that's I think- really, that's good to know though, because I think, so we all have this experience several times, like you said, several times throughout our lives, we're going to experience grief of some sort. And so to know that, okay, nothing's going wrong. This is a part of life. This is just part of the human experience, as we like to say. And so then, then what, what do we do with, with grief? Yeah, that's such a good question. What do we do with grief? I think we get to do whatever we want Mm -hmm. and there's no right and there's Mm -hmm. no wrong and it's just choice. 
But I can tell you what isn't helpful. Yes. Tell us what's not helpful. Which is trying to not feel our feelings. Hmm. Right? Trying to wish that the past hadn't happened the way that it happened. Mm-hmm. Like those two things, so not helpful. And I see a lot of it, right? Trying to take take the feelings, assume that the feelings are wrong or that we can't handle them or that they're too much, and then develop really unhealthy coping mechanisms for those feelings, try to distract ourselves from the feelings, buying into the lie that time heals and just trying to wait, you know, or busy ourselves away from whatever it is we're feeling or just kind of pretend it's not there, judging ourselves as we go through it, telling ourselves we aren't doing it right or we're supposed to be doing it differently. Judging happy feelings mm-hmm. as we're fe- as, as we're going through a grief experience, I see this happen a lot where you know, we have this idea of what it's supposed to be like when we're grieving. And so when we don't fit that mold, we don't fit that expectation, then we judge ourselves. So either, you know, we tell ourselves we should be less sad than we are, or we suddenly notice we feel happy. And then we tell ourselves Mm -hmm. we shouldn't be so happy. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I'm always teaching is just acceptance, Mm -hmm. compassion, you know, allowing the feelings and processing them and just choosing at every turn to be your own champion. Mm. Like, what does it look like to support yourself right now with whatever is happening for you Mm -hmm. and making that choice in the moment? Now you said earlier, like two, the two things that are not helpful, one was not feeling the feelings, Mm -hmm. right? And then the other one was not wishing that it had been different, but can you talk Mm. more about that? Because I, I hear that and I think, but why not? Why shouldn't we wish that it was different? Yeah. And maybe I'm not. So it's interesting. So I still kind of wish it had been different in some ways, but I don't spend a lot of time arguing with how it is. And that's what I mean, right? You can wish it were different, but the more time you spend arguing with how it is, the more suffering you create for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to believe it should have happened or it's amazing that it happened or you're so happy it happened. But just that it happened. Just that it happened. Yeah. Yeah, It's that it shouldn't have happened. And the fixation on how it shouldn't have happened the way that it did Mm -hmm. that creates so much suffering for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it did happen. Right. And that relates to anything that we're talking about here. Like if your marriage or motherhood or something turns out a different way, then just arguing with the reality of what the situation is, is going to bring more suffering than if you just accept, okay, this is what it is. And now what? Yes. Yeah. It's like your child is throwing a tantrum and you're telling yourself this shouldn't be happening, but it's happening. (laughs) Right. right. So let's not say that it shouldn't be happening when it's happening, right? It's, this is happening. Who do I want to be now that this is happening? Yes. Good. Okay. That was helpful. Now, Let's talk about our kids and how to help them through grief. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think a lot of moms listening may be thinking, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll deal with my grief. That's not a big, that's not a problem, mm-hmm. but how do I help my kids? Because mm-hmm. surely 
when they feel grief, that's a problem, right, Krista? <laughs> we need or to fix maybe that one, it right? Isn't. Yes. No. I mean, <laughs> yes and no, Pam. Grief is not a problem. Feelings aren't problems. It's mm-hmm. just the natural part of the human experience. And so, but that can be mind bendy for moms. When we are not brought up to believe that feelings aren't problems, then of course, when our kids have, you know, big feelings, we think it's a problem. And so we try to fix it. We, we don't know how to be happy when our kids aren't happy. And that's the skill we have to learn mm-hmm. is how do we make space for them to have their emotional experience, knowing that it is a part of their human journey and that there's nothing wrong with those feelings. Actually, it's better for them to feel what they're feeling and process through it instead of pretending it's not there or, you know, minimizing it or trying to find the silver lining and, you know, not acknowledging the truth of how we really feel. And, and I see a lot so of people doing of disservices. Yeah. In the last year with the pandemic, right? The kids are upset that they can't see their friends or they can't do certain things that they had expected they were going to be able to do. And the moms, you know, they're like, Oh, it's okay. You'll you'll go to camp the next year, you know, mm-hmm. or just kind of minimizing it or yeah. pushing it aside, trying to make it sunshiny happy. And yeah, I think a way more useful approach is yeah, I, I totally hear you. That does suck. You know, I mean, maybe right. sucks not the word you use, but you know, that does stink. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, how do you feel about that? And giving it a voice, letting them talk about it, right? Letting them normalizing it, and and. When I said at the beginning that we're just not very good at grief in this culture, this is how the ripple effect of that is felt. It's in the day-to-day, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just the big dad dies kind of losses. It's all the little losses. And this myth that we've bought into that you're supposed to be strong and you're supposed to be grateful and... um, you know, if, if you want to be sad, you should do that alone. Mm. And so then we end up not showing our, our true feelings in front of our children because we believe that we're supposed to be strong in front of them. So they never see anyone processing emotion. They never learn that emotion is normal, good, healthy, right? They don't develop that resiliency and they don't have the capacity to support themselves through a challenging emotion because, you know, either we aren't showing them how, or we're out in front of them trying to mow the lawn, right? And fix all of this stuff or, or spackle happiness over it. And it's just completely not useful. So I think honesty with your child about any emotion, you know, that they are feeling and that you are feeling is so much more useful. I was, I did an interview with uh, a friend of mine, Jenny Lisk. She has a podcast. It's very similar to mine. She has the widowed parent podcast. I have the widowed mom podcast. Okay. And um, she does a lot of interviews with just grief experts and children who have survived the loss of a parent. One of the things that she told me one time that just really surprised her was, that one of the biggest things that children who grow up around loss and specifically the loss of a parent um, struggle with is when the parent does not take care of themselves. Mm. And so sometimes as moms, I think we think, well, I just need to take care of my child. And so we believe that by putting our needs last, we're somehow helping them. But what, you know, Jenny was saying is like, no, no, actually, if you go and you talk to grown children, what they will tell you is that they really felt the burden Mm -hmm. of them then later having to be the emotional adult Mm. um, and take care of the parent who didn't take care of themselves. 
Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. I think it's just universal. I mean, I remember being a kid and there was no death in my family, but I remember just that was the most important thing to me was that my parents took care of themselves emotionally mm-hmm. and physically. And I remember I would worry about them because I thought if if they're not taking care of themselves, then what's going to happen to me? Right. Yeah. And then it puts that burden and all of that fear on the child. Yeah. So if we take good care of our own emotional well-being, we don't put that burden on the child. And then also we role model it for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think honesty is a big part of that. So I think this goes nicely into like, so if your child has a fear of death, fear of of their parents dying or of themselves dying or something like that, then it's the same process of allowing them to feel that fear. Would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is normal and helping them develop the belief that they can handle feelings, including fear. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, don't worry, mommy's never going to die. That's not going to happen. Everything's fine, you know, and setting them up with lies. Like, let's not do that to our kids. Yeah. So, okay. So have you had to deal with that with your own kids? I mean, they have been through it with Hugo, Mm -hmm. but how have you helped them navigate their own grief? Yeah, that was probably my son's biggest struggle, honestly. I think my daughter really realized what she lost in Hugo. Whereas my son, it was his first, because he was nine, his first realization that, oh, people I love die. Like this could happen to my mom. Right. Right? And so his was, are you going to die? I I just want to, he said, told me one time as we were getting ready for bed, he said, I just want to die five minutes, five seconds or something before you do. Um, so that way I don't have to know what that's yeah. like. And oh, I think, bless his I think heart. Dahlia said something very similar to me once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's not sugarcoating it. This is hard, buddy. This is hard, right? Right now, mommy's right here, right? Mm-hmm. Acknowledging what is true in the moment, but not, not saying that it's going to be forever. Like someday, you know, people do die, but it's okay. That's part of life. This mm-hmm. is how it works. And, you know giving them the idea that that they can handle whatever's in front of them as opposed to saying that it's never going to happen. With my kids too, I'm a big fan of emotional freedom technique, tapping. Mm-hmm. And so I have used tapping a lot with my children over the years and continue to do that. Um, so Carson and I especially did a lot of tapping in those earlier days where I would, you know, tap on him and we would just, whatever he was feeling, we would just talk about what it was and tapping on it. Oh, that's interesting. You would tap on him. I never knew mm-hmm. that that was a yeah. thing. Okay, I'll yeah. link to um, I'll link to some resources about tapping if people haven't heard of that. But I've actually done a, a little bit of that too with Brad Yates on, uh, mm, yeah. on YouTube. I love him. Yeah. I love that. So I, I don't do it regularly, but I definitely have have used it and loved it. And um, recently brought it up to my kids to say, you know, hey, let's mm-hmm. maybe we can try this together. So yeah, I started them when they were really little and bedtime was terrible in my house. It was terrible, <laughs> especially for my daughter. I mean, we'd just do like fisticuffs in my house. And um, so tapping really helped. And so I would tap on her and we would just tap with let it go. Um, or if there was a specific emotion she was feeling, we would tap on that too. But yeah, it was really a great way to help her process whatever she was feeling and really calm her down. And then Carson and I started doing it as well. And so, yeah, and he would say, mommy, will you do that tappy thingy? 
for me. And so, yeah, I would just gently tap on all the points and it would help mm-hmm. put him to sleep and come, you know, help him process whatever anxiety or frustration or anger, or whatever he was experiencing without making it a problem. Right. Yeah. I wasn't saying this is a problem, then mommy needs to fix it for you. Right. We need to tap right. so it'll go away. Right. It was here's how here's how we can support ourselves, you know, with these feelings. Okay. Yeah. And calm the nervous system down a skosh. Cool. I love that. I think um those types of resources are going to be really helpful to my listeners. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, even in fact, even I'll tell you with my 17-year-old mm-hmm. had a uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago. I mean, we tapped for probably an hour and a half. I mean, she, it was like meltdown land Mm. and some stuff that she was going through. And that was what helped. And she, she mostly did it herself. Right. But I just sat there right there with her Mm -hmm. and everything that came up, we just kept tapping and tapping and tapping and worked through. So, and it was just you know, work through the the boyfriend drama subject. And then it's kind of like peeling the layers of an onion back where, you know, you work through one subject and then that uncovers. And what about college? And then and with the test scores and then, you know, just the, all the, wow, all the insecurities that show up. And, and that's, I think a beautiful way to help a child with that. But, awesome. but never do I ever say you shouldn't be feeling this way. Oh, honey, it'll be fine. Don't you worry. Yeah. Okay. And then I guess with kids, I I guess it depends on the family and like their religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs about like what happens when somebody dies, right? Mm -hmm. Like what we tell our kids. I I always just say, what do you hope is the answer to that? And like, Mm -hmm. you believe whatever you want. Yeah. (laughs) I I love that. I don't know. Like, and one, so one of my kids, you know, I don't know exactly, but they think one thing's going to happen when they die and the other kid thinks something different. And I go, that's great. Just believe mm-hmm. that because if that's what helps you and that's what feels good, then you get to believe whatever you want. Nobody knows yeah. for sure. So you might as well think something that gives you a sense of peace and calm. And what do you think? Get, offer them some choice. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah. They really do get to believe whatever yeah. it is that they want. I know. I remember when Marissa was we were up in the mountains one time and Hugo loved it there. And I remember realizing at the, at, at a specific moment in time when we were both talking about him, that you can create connection with someone who is no longer living with your mind. Because I was thinking, looking out over these mountains, how sad it was that he wasn't there and wishing he were there. And I said something to her about that. And I wish Hugo were here. And she looked at me and she was like, he's here, Mm. you know, yeah. Almost like, how could you possibly even think that he right. wouldn't be here? Yeah. Right. And then I realized, oh my gosh, you really actually can create connection or disconnection with your brain. Yeah. And yeah, so, so powerful. So why not choose to believe that they're with you or wherever you want to choose to believe that they are? There's no downside. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to um, share with us before we wrap it up? Well, I would say if anybody's looking for, you know, if they have dealt with a death and they are looking for age-specific information, I highly recommend the Dougie Center, which is an, um, in Portland, Oregon. And their website is phenomenal in terms of how to support youth in grief. And okay. it's broken down into age-specific kind of 
resources. And so if anybody needs resources, I would definitely point them there. But I think in general, we just need to start considering what do we want to think about um, feelings, right? Mm -hmm. What do we want to think about grief? What do we want to think about loss? Do we want to see it as something terrible or do we want to see it as potentially terrible and oh we didn't get opportunity to talk about, for growth yeah i wanted you to talk about post traumatic growth just a little bit what does that oh, mean oh yeah so just kind of quickly post traumatic growth is you know we used to think that the only thing that could happen after a loss was just kind of a return to the baseline of normal and so people are very focused on post traumatic stress disorder and how do we how do we take someone who's got stress from a trauma and bring them back to that kind of baseline level of functioning? And post-traumatic growth was um, coined in the early 90s by a couple of researchers who just kind of stumbled onto this idea that actually some people were experiencing a higher quality of life in a few key areas after a trauma than they had before. And that was just kind of mind-blowing. And so- mm-hmm we really get to decide what we want to do with any trauma. And if we want, we can come out of it with a stronger appreciation for life with, you know, better relationships with others and, you know, increased spiritual connection and personal strength and and all of these kinds of things. So really the person who is living life is always in the driver's seat, right? Even when there's a major loss, Mm-hmm. They still can choose growth, even in the face of that loss or that trauma, all very subjective, all very individual, but to me, incredibly empowering to, yes. to that is, that is what's truly possible. It's not just this, well, right. I have to go from, you know, this hole that I'm in to digging myself out of the hole, but that I can actually go on and thrive really and yeah. love my life even more. So let's get that message out. Yeah. And I think you're just a beautiful example of that. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And all of that to say, you know, I still miss him. I still, you know, like it can, we can, it can all coexist. You can still go through something and not see it as amazing in and of itself, but then zoom out and think about life in the greater context and see it as a part, a valuable part of your amazing life. Yeah. Yeah keep it in perspective. That's great. I love that. So thank you so, so much. How can people find you if they want to learn more about you or how to work with you? I know you have a, um, you have a group program, right? For widowed moms, right? Group program for widowed moms. And so coaching with Krista, K-R-I-S-T-A is probably the easiest way to connect. All my social links are there and information on my program is there, my podcast and all of that. Perfect. And I know that I've definitely referred people to your podcast who are going through the loss of their husbands. And so it's just good, you know, for anybody listening. Um, if you know somebody, if you are a widow, that Krista's, I think, the best resource for you to take these tools that we talk about here and apply them to your situation. So thank well, you. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you so much for being here. And, totally my pleasure. Uh, Super fun. <laughs> take care. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and you're ready to feel calmer, more confident, and more at peace in your family and life, I invite you to sign up for a free consultation with me to learn about how my coaching can help you achieve the exact life you want. You'll take the concepts and tools I share in the podcast and apply them to your own life. And as your coach, I'll be there to support you every step of the way. Go to lessdramamoremama.com forward slash mini 
sign up now. 